We are in part seven. We're out of eight. We're almost done. We've been looking at peace. And as we've worked our way through here, we've been looking and developing what is peace, what is biblical peace, what does it mean to live in peace, especially in these times. And remember, we've worked our way through the whole Bible. We started in the Old Testament, and we've been working our way through looking at most of, almost all of the major passages that teach anything about peace to try to get a complete picture of what God's Word says about peace. And the big thing we've seen is, of course, starting with the Garden of Eden, that God creates this wholeness, this oneness, this togetherness, this completeness, which is the idea of peace. Remember, we said it's not about an emotional tranquility like Zen. It's not just, ah. It has to do with that feeling coming out of a completeness and a togetherness that is authored by God. So we saw in the Garden of Eden where God made everything. He put everything together. It was good. Man, man and wife was well together. Man and God, mankind and God was well together. Man and nature worked well together. Nature worked good with itself. And then sin comes in because man decides to do things their, their own way. Mankind says, I'm going to do it my way, what feels good for me, what I think is best. And suddenly man and nature isn't okay. Man and wife is not okay. Man and God is not okay. And suddenly everything is divided. And that is the lack of peace, the lack of everything together and okay. And so then we've seen that since then, God has been trying to put it back together, and we keep fighting Him on that. And the reason we don't have peace is not because God has failed, it's because we just reject Him again and again. And we saw Him send Messiah. We saw the promise of Messiah where He offered to bring everything together in peace, and Messiah was rejected and killed. But even in that act, God used that to bring us together with him through Jesus dying for our rebellion and our sin. And so then we've been looking at what does it mean for us then to live in Christ? And what does it mean for us to really not just live like Jesus, that's nice, but we talked about how we're not good at that. We talked about how our efforts to just become good people, even using Jesus as a tool for our goodness, just doesn't work. That we might for a little bit, but we can't hold to it because we, we go back into ourselves, and we live for ourselves, and we pursue ourselves. And so we have to get back into Jesus and die to self. So that's where we've been. And we talked about that. Last week we did communion, and we looked again at Jesus' definition of love and peace as he gave himself for us, and what it meant was to really focus on him and what he has done rather than on what we do. Now, as we get into this week, we're going to look at two passages. And what's really interesting is some of these passages that we get into, they're, you know, they're kind of complex. You get into Isaiah and stuff, and there's, it's Hebrew, and we're not used to the, the thought patterns, and it's a culture different than ours. But as we get into some of the writings of Paul and James, which is where we'll be today, we are now talk, listening to people writing to more Roman citizens, and it's much closer to our culture and so as we're going to read today, you're not going to need a ton of interpretation or help from me to take you through it, because as we look at the passages today, they're really straightforward. So I just want to call your attention to some things. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, and then we will come to where uh, Bill just read for us in a minute. But we want to start in Philippians chapter 4, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 4. And I, and I want to show you, Paul is going to speak in Philippians 4, and then we're going to go over to where Bill just read in, in James 3 and listen to James. And you're going to hear these two different guys writing to two different groups of people, 
and yet we're going to hear them say the same thing with a message that really, really should speak to us. So let's look at Philippians 4, 2 through 9. You say, why are you starting in verse 2? Because remember the chapter and verse numbers, those were assigned later. And in this case, it, they didn't make a good break. Uh, Philippians 4, 1 is the end of chapter 3. Uh, it, says, it starts with therefore. It's jumping off everything that's been going on in uh, the end of chapter 3. So then verse 2 starts the next thought. And it starts with a personal appeal. Let's look at this. Philippians 4, 2. I urge Yodia and I urge Synchthony. We decided first service, we're going to call her Cindy. <laughs> Works better. To live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So let's just dig through this real quick. It's pretty straightforward, but I want to call your attention. First, the context of this is conflict, and it's conflict between believers. Notice that these two women, Yodia and Cindy, they, it says in verse 3 that they have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. So these are ministry partners of Paul. These aren't two unbelievers. These are two women who are active in ministry. But something, somewhere along the line, they have become divided. We don't know why. We can ask them when to get to heaven. Can you imagine these two poor ladies? Because you're going to get to heaven, you're going to say, I want to go find out. I'm going to go find Yodia. And you go over and say, hi, Yodia. And she's like, yeah, I know. Thank you, Paul. 2,000 years of people have been asking me this question. Had a little dispute with my sister, memorialized for all time. Poor woman. So maybe when we get to heaven, maybe we just say, hey, good to see you. Right. But anyway, they've had this division. He doesn't say what it was, but they're not getting along. And so he says, I urge them to live in harmony with each other. So that's the, con the context of this whole section is live in harmony. There's division in the church. Remember, that's the opposite of peace. And so you're going to hear him talk about peace because the peace is bringing together. And so what does he say first? What's kind of the strategy here? Because he says in verse 3, he says, and all of you, because obviously usually divisions like this, they kind of creep through everything. So he expands it. He talks about other people who have been part of this uh, ministry and all these fellow workers who are all in a book of life. They're all saved. And then here's his advice or his instruction. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. You need me to walk you through that? Rejoice in the Lord. That's then he says, in case you missed that, rejoice. All right, got that? Pretty straightforward. Verse 5, whew, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. 
The Lord is near. I want you to just tag that name, for, that word for a minute, gentle. It says, let, your, let everyone see how gentle you are. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Verse 6, do not be anxious, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. There's, that's kind of back to rejoice again. Let your requests be made known to God. So rather than be anxious, you're going to pray. Rather than worry about what's going on, in this case, again, maybe within the conflict, it says instead, talk to God about it. With thanksgiving, which is different than, I can't stand her, Lord, fix her. That's not thanksgiving, all right? And then the result of that, verse 7, and the peace of God, which goes beyond all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that's why we called this sermon today, Guard. Because it says, and as you do this, this peace of God, which is different than peace of man, remember, peace of man depends on circumstances. But as this happens, your heart and mind will be guarded by God's peace. And what does that look like? Verse 8, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation, if there is anything, any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. He says, so now here's what you focus on. Focus on things that are lovely, right, pure, good reputation, excellent, worthy of praise. That's what you're going to focus on. Think on... Dwell on these things. That's where you're going to put your head. He gives that list of, they're all positives. Notice, they're all positives. He says, practice these things in verse 9. This is what I've done, he says in verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. Notice he keeps coming back to peace. So with that in mind, now let's flip over. So hold this in your head. What we just saw, especially that list in verse 8. All right, I'm going to put a bookmark in there. We're going to flip over to James chapter 3. This is what Bill read for us. James chapter 3, 13 through 18. Now, this is a different writer. This is James. He is talking to a church. He is talking to the church, the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And the Jewish church at this point, we're getting closer to the end of the Roman occupation where Roman is going to wipe out Jerusalem. And what's happening in church, and if you'll remember back a year or so, a year and a half ago, so we, we preached through, I preached through the the book of James. We were in the middle of the book when the when COVID hit, and we were looking. The name of that series was called "Life in Troubled Times," and it's on the website. And uh, we looked at that. This was a time when there was a lot of revolutionary fervor, and a lot of people were ready to rise up. And there was a lot of rebels in the in the church advocating we need to fight off Rome. Rome's oppressive because the church was under persecution. Rome was getting heavier handed. And so there was a lot of people who wanted to fight the government and all this stuff. And James writes the book of James to calm everybody down and to get them refocused on the ministry and on Jesus and not on earthly stuff. And so in James 3, 13 through 18, let's just read this again. Look at this as Bill shared with us and look at how similar this is going to sound to what Paul told the Philippians. Verse 13, who among you is wise and understanding? In other words, who knows what they're talking about? But if you've ever been in an argument or a debate, you know who, who knows what they're talking about. You, right? That's why you're in a debate, because you know. And that's the person you're talking to is woefully misunderstanding and stupid and wrong, and you're going to try to set them straight, because you know and they don't. 
Otherwise, you wouldn't be having a debate or a conflict. You'd just be like, well, you're right, okay. No, you go, uh, dude. So he says, how, how do you know? Who, you who, are, who, who among you is wise and understanding? If that's you, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Told you to watch that word. He says, you know, who will be able to tell who's right, who's wise, who knows what they're doing? They'll be gentle, which matches verse 5 in Philippians 4. Let your gentleness be seen by everybody. You'll be known by your gentleness. Then in verses 14 through 16, he's going to show. Remember we had Yodia and Cindy. They were in conflict. We're going to see where conflict comes from. Right here in verse 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. Jealousy is, I want what you have. Or I don't like that you have it. And selfish ambition is what I want for me. And don't read selfish ambition as just being an ego-megalomaniac because selfish ambition can be really nice. I have selfish ambition every day at 12.30, 1 o'clock. It's called a quiet lunch. Eating what I want without interruption. I want this. It's selfish ambition. I don't, I'm not trying to conquer the world, just lunch. You say, well, Ari, you deserve that. Thank you. That's what I want to hear. That feeds my selfish ambition. It says if you have that in your heart, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above. It's earthly, natural, demonic. Gee, James... Did you pull the punch? Whoa! For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Disorder. Conflict. Divisions. Because as the scripture says elsewhere, what is it that causes divisions among you? Is it not your desires? They wage war. Because I want I want, I want, I need. He says, well then, what's the right way? Coming back to verse 13. The right way, real wisdom, verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, there it is again, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Doesn't that list sound really, really close to the list in verse 8 of Philippians 4? Pure, right, gentle was verse 5 in chapter Philippians 4, full of mercy. Let's remember the definition of mercy which is where somebody has something coming to them and you decide they don't need to have it even though they need to have it. Where they deserve something bad and you decide not to give it to them even though they deserve it. He says you're going to be full of mercy. That's wisdom. And good fruits. Unwavering without hypocrisy. 
And then verse 18, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness. Now remember, righteousness is just the biblical way of saying rightness, to be right. Which comes back to verse 13, who among you is wise? Who's right? Because we all want to be right. We like to be right. We fight for when we think we're right. And he says, the seed that leads to righteousness, rightness, where does that come from? Is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so the key here is the peace. It's grown in peace by peacemakers. Notice how these two overlap so much with a repeat again and again of gentleness. Peace, mercy. Pretty straightforward. I mean, it's not like this is complicated. He's speaking in very plain language here. So what we need to do is we need to figure out how to apply it. So let's talk about that. Let's discuss this. What is the biggest thing that drives our division? Well, the biggest one is fear. The biggest one is fear. You think about Yodia and Cindy, and whatever, we don't know what spurred their division. But at the heart of it oftentimes is fear because, you know, over several weeks we've talked about drowning victims. I've talked about trying to lifeguard a drowning victim and how when somebody's drowning, they're hard to save. Why? Because they're so scared. They are trying so hard to save themselves that they will kind of try to kill you. But they're not trying to kill you. They're trying to save themselves. But they'll grab hold of you in a way that isn't helpful and you'll both go down and you have to fight them off until they tire until they have no fight left in them. Then you can rescue them. And we talked about that. Why? Because that fear causes, we call, we call it fight or flight, right? And it's, it's part of how God made you, and it's a stress response, and you're like, ah! Ah! and you, and we get aggressive because we're afraid. You got to fight, you got to protect. Stuff's happening. What's, I'm threatened by my comfort or my, my survival or my resources or anything else that I value, whatever it is that I value. It's whatever is dear to you will cause you to fight. And so then you end up with verses 14 through 16. Division. Because that's selfish ambition. You say, but I'm fighting for a good thing. Right, but for who? You because that's what motivates us, me. Because that's all of us. When it comes down to it, me, my family, my people, that which I value, I will fight for. That's natural. And that's what he said. It's natural, earthly, and demonic. I really wish he hadn't thrown that word in. It'd just be a little more comfortable. That's what comes naturally. That's what he said in verse 15. That's the wisdom of the world. That's not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is I trust him. That's the life jacket. I don't worry about my own survival. I rejoice. I pray. And it's not the prayer of fix things for me, God! It's, God, I know you're in control, and I'm gentle, focused, 
on peace. And that's hard because, to be very honest, and we, I think we all know this, gentleness is central to this passage and it's under attack and despised in our current culture. In fact, right now, I am finding, just by watching and reading, that gentleness is under attack by Christians. I watched a Christian teacher who's at least as conservative as I am. A couple weeks ago, he posted about the danger of excess compassion. I was like, excess compassion. Well, he was worried that we would worry about people too much, you know? Because some people, they're just, they're just victims, and we just got you gotta have, you got to come to the point where you just quit caring about them, because if you care about them too much, it just makes you soft. We got to fight. So you got to be careful of excess compassion. And I was trying to take that idea, which personally is slightly attractive, because compassion's a tough thing. But I was trying to reconcile that with Jesus, who comes down to bring joy and peace and life, and they lie about him and put him through a mock trial and then torture him to death. And he's up there on the cross, and he looks at the people who are torturing to death, and it's not by accident. It's not like, whoops, you accidentally slipped and fell on a crucifixion. No, this is, they are actively killing him, and he looks at them, and he says, Father, forgive them. That is excess compassion. They don't deserve it. They are actively killing God. Wisdom from above is full of mercy. Verse 17 says, full of mercy. They don't deserve compassion. But the idea that is taking hold, even in our churches, is the idea that somehow gentleness is weakness. That real men are going to be tough and strong and, uh, and women too. But here, again and again, gentle, gentle, gentle. Says, you want to, people know you're right? Let everyone see just how gentle you are. Let you show your good behavior and your deeds of gentleness. And that runs counter to even Christian culture this day. That's, what, that's why I had to get off Facebook because it was breaking my heart to see Christian teachers advocating this some sort of robust aggressiveness when two different teachers here in the Word of God say, make sure you, people know just how gentle you are. In fact, what is oftentimes celebrated is verses 14 through 16. That's celebrated. Right? Get what we need. Get what us versus them. Me versus you. We got to fight for us against them. 14 through 16. Jealousy and selfish ambition. And what does it say where that exists? There's disorder. And if that doesn't speak to this day and age, I don't know what does. Disorder. What's the solution? Fight harder. More disorder. And even believers are celebrating verses 14 through 16, but we are supposed to live verses 17 and 18. Wisdom from above is first pure. 
then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. That's what comes from above. Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, and full of mercy. See, what we were looking for, and I actually have seen some teachers, Christian teachers, talk about this. We like to skip ahead to Revelation. And in Revelation, Jesus is pictured coming out of heaven on a white horse with a sword out of his mouth to judge his enemies. And we go, yeah, there's our guy. Oh, swords and laying waste to the enemies on the white horse. Yay, there's our guy. And we want that. Why do we want that? Because that's winning. That's where he lays waste to all the people against him and he wins. And we're like, yeah. But the Bible says, have this attitude that was in Christ. And it doesn't point to the white horse. It points to the cross. And the sad truth is, as part of why we don't have peace is because we have become sick of the cross. We're tired of the cross. We're worn out. We don't want the cross anymore. Let's get to the judgment part. So we don't want the Jesus of the cross. We want the Jesus of the sword and the white horse. Because we don't want the Jesus that emptied himself. And although he existed in the form of God, did not consider the quality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and was found as a servant and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're like, oh, I'm sick of that. I don't want to die anymore. I don't want to surrender anymore. These people are ungrateful. They don't appreciate it anyway. So let's get to the white horse. But we are not told to emulate the God of the white horse. Why? Because that's when it's over. And it says, dear friend, he's not slow about keeping that promise, as some understand slowness, but he's patient. Why? Not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He's not done with the cross because he doesn't want he doesn't want people to have to experience what's going to happen the day of the white horse and so he's waiting and we're like come on let's just get to that part I'm tired of the cross I'm tired of being full of mercy and gentle and reasonable and so that brings us to the question for ourselves this morning what do we dwell on when you're laying in bed, when you're sitting and thinking, when you're driving and your brain just starts going over stuff, what do you dwell on? What do you sit there like a cow chewing its cud? What do you rehearse? Something that you've brought in before, but now you just ruminate on it. I'm sure for Yodia and Cindy, it was easy to sit there and think about how bad the other one was, how unreasonable the other one was how wrong the other one was. That's what we tend to think about, right? Because they're bugging us. And when you do, what do you do? You focus right in on that. 
Now, I have a great, sorry, I have an awesome relationship. I'm just so thankful. After 22 years, we're just getting closer and closer. Our communication gets better and better, which is not to say that we've achieved some sort of nirvana. Nope. But it's better. And we're constantly working on it. And we talk. And we don't really fight because we talk it through. That is not to say that we don't get on each other's nerves routinely. And by routinely, I mean, you know, day to day, hour by hour. And here's what can happen for me. She's not here today to defend herself. <laughs> but I will, she'll watch this later. So, hi, honey, I love you. Um, but there's stuff that she doesn't do. Because despite my best efforts, she has still failed to become perfect. And so there's, and sometimes the stuff that she doesn't do or doesn't get done is stuff that really matters to me. Why? Well, because it does. Because it's what matters. And so I see that, oh, why does she, oh, why does she do that? 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 Oh, and she didn't do it there. And pretty soon, what am I doing? I'm rehearsing what she didn't do. Is it right? Well, of course it's right, because she didn't do it. I mean, I'm not lying here. To dwell on this means I do have to ignore that the fact, one of the reasons she didn't get to that is because she does this, 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 and this. And there's only so many hours in a day. And she is, again, not superhuman yet. Here's hoping. What do I dwell on? If I dwell on what she doesn't do right, what's going to happen between she and I? Conflict. Because I will not be full of mercy. And then I will not be gentle. You can ask my kids, is dad always gentle? Nope. When is dad not gentle? When he's annoyed and frustrated because something didn't happen that should have. Should it have happened? Yes. Did it happen? No. Does dad then instantly respond with mercy? Oh, I really supposed to. And I have to do better at where do I put my heart and mind? What do I focus on? Do I focus on whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, when I think about what my wife does, do I think about what she doesn't do right or what she does? What do I sit there and rehearse? If I'm Yudia, do I think about the fact that Cindy and I have shared great ministry together? No, I think about what she doesn't do right. And it leads to a lack of peace. And I'm not willing to surrender anymore because I'm right and she's wrong and she should know better. Does peace guard your heart and mind? This is the... He couldn't be any more practical than he is in these two passages, God being, both Paul and James. He says, wisdom from above is peaceable, gentle, full of mercy. Think about the right things. Focus on this. Dwell there. Rejoice. In fact, I'll say it again. Rejoice and be gentle. Is your prayer trying to get God to fix things for you or is it to fix yourself on Him? That's why it says pray with thanksgiving. So I guess Yodia was supposed to pray about Cindy. Lord, thank you for Cindy. Thank you for her. Now I can do that with my wife. I can do that with my children. But I can't just do it with them. I got to do it with my 
perceived enemies. Thank you for my enemies. May I show mercy to those who are my enemies because that's what Jesus did, have this attitude. And so I need to show mercy to enemies. I need to be a peacemaker. So if you wanted to have a good assignment for this week as we wrap up, verse 17. Memorize verse 17. So that it sticks in your head. Wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. The fact that my imperfect wife has an imperfect husband who's the list of things that he didn't get to. I have good reason why I didn't. But I have a list too. And when I dwell on what she didn't do instead of what I didn't do, hypocrisy. And the seed of righteousness is sown in peace. Let's pray. Father, this is really simple and really, really hard because it does not come naturally. Wisdom, our wisdom comes naturally and it's about self-preservation. It's about protecting that which is most important to us that which is most valuable to us. It is to see the world as us versus them and to identify the enemies and try to defeat them. And you came and you didn't defeat your enemies. You died for them and forgave them. You came and you made peace with people who were actively rejecting you. And you won that way. And we are tired of your cross. We are tired of giving up. We are tired of laying down our lives. We want to win, and yet we're called to win souls, not contests. We're called, you have called us today from your word here to tell us that let everyone recognize just how gentle we are. And Lord, the truth is, in our society right now, even though gentleness is despised, it's also longed for. And while some people will mock us as not being tough enough, the hurting, the scared, and the lost will be drawn to people of peace. Our society is so cold and scared. And there's so much anger out there. People are desperate for hope. May we present that through peace. Your kingdom is not of this world. We don't have to fight. You've already won. We trust in your work, not ours. May our spirit here at Beans Corner be known to everyone around us. May we in our families, in our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting, or as being children, not flee from the cross, but embrace it, your cross, our cross, and rest in your peace. As the world swirls around us, as we live in these trying times, may we dwell on all that you've given us. And may your peace guard our hearts and minds in you. 
pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.